And so our goal has to be, how can we do that? How can we mess with your expectations? How can we shake up and keep you excited that you need to see what happens next month? You know, the worst thing I can do as a writer is have you bored. Like, not that I want you to be mad at me, but at least if you're mad at me, I know you're paying attention. Do you know what I mean? Like, at yeah. least I did, you know, at least, at least you're paying attention and you're interested or you're like, yeah, not that I'm, I'm not, I'm not hunting for hate readers, obviously, right? But on the other hand, it's like... take over okay it is it really is like you know i'm, I'm like, i um this woman i know she works in like cyber terrorism and technology and all of that kind of stuff and like i spoke to her one day about the machine uprising and she was trying to tell me she's like you know that's not going to happen for like a really long time and i just feel like we, you don't know that like you can see it's on her radar (laughs) you know what i'm saying like come on now it's just like she's like you know when if that happens she's like it'll be like your great great grandkids grandkids when that happens and i was just like "Mm, i don't know about that because it's just like we can say that but when technology is ready to rise it's gonna rise yeah I'm gonna be the first one to go because I can't I can't live without it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so welcome back to another relaunch. Um we are your host this week. You know what? I am going to be Mr. Simon Williams Wonder Man. Um who are you this week? Yara Floor. Oh, okay. Yeah. Miss Wonder Girl. Hopefully we can get her in another book. <laughs> We're crossing our fingers. I like Yara. You know, I kind of came to realize that I, 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 I do enjoy the character. I think she's cool. She I has like, a nice visual. She has a fantastic visual. She's a model. Great visual. And you know, I, I love a pretty girl. <laughs> you do love a pretty girl. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm easy. It's not you, that hard for me. You do. <laughs> How are you doing today? Um, I'm doing well. You know, it, it's snowing here in the district of columbia which is like just the weather's been all up and down all the time but that's fine because i didn't really have plans to do anything anyway i'm on an off haircut week and so i tend not to be seen out the house i know how else goes when i need to get my locks retwisted i'm like i'm gonna stay mm-hmm. here <laughs> y'all gotta see me like this how about you how are um, you i'm good you know uh back in the swing of things out here in la it's been getting uh back to being warmer it's been cold here recently and like Raina, I'm like, mm-hmm. uh, we are really killing the earth. This doesn't sound right. <laughs> like, this don't sound right. This is not what I moved here for. It's not good. So, it's not good. Uh, did you see that? I don't know if you saw, but I was uh, watching the news and they said that apparently they just locked down like a bunch of people in China because a new variant popped up. You know, at this point, <laughs> and, and weren't we just talking about a summer variant? Like, I'm sorry, you can't ruin my summer. I'm gonna be outside. 
I'm going outside. I'm sorry. Look, I'm trying to be at, but these shoulders out. <laughs> okay. yeah, I, know, that's right. and I was like, let me just buy, but you know, people stop, stock up on your mask right now because you're going to need yes. them again. Yes. Or, you know, or be like me and just stay in sometimes. <laughs> not, <laughs> not all the time, just sometimes. <laughs> every now and again. Yeah. Um, all right, let's go ahead and get into the comics of the week. And up first is Devil's Reign number five. And this is written by Chip Zdarsky with art by Marco Cicetto. And uh, this is the, I think, the penultimate issue, because I think this is only up to six. Uh, so things are starting to come to a head. This opens with, previously in the last issue, we saw that the Purple Man's kids were the ones who responsible for getting rid of Matt Murdock's uh, secret identity and mm-hmm. uh, Kingpin had learned about that he figured that out so now he wants his those kids to like basically get arrested and he wants to take their power to amplify the purple man's power that he's been using so this issue opens with his thunderbolts going after the kids and they um, <laughs> have US agent is there he opens the door he's like you know we're here to take you in the kids start to use their powers on him and he's like that's not gonna work like you don't think we have like dampeners for that stuff and then electro not the one i like francine uh fry <laughs> <laughs> she like basically electrocutes all these kids <laughs> <laughs> and then they like are trying to apprehend them and all of a sudden, Jessica uh, Jones shows up with the champions. And they're like, you know, Thunderbolts have a problem with these kids. See if you can take them on. And they try to, like, stop them from arresting these kids. They only get away with rescuing a few of them before, basically, Jessica gets beat up by Annihilation. Who <laughs> shows do you, up. Um, do you like Jessica Jones? No. Oh. Okay. <laughs> she all right. Like, I just asked because, you know, they just announced her new book, The Variants, and it's supposed to be her, like different versions of herself throughout the multiverse and they're solving a crime. And I I don't know. I just I don't know. It's Jessica Jones. I think I'm just more apathetic towards her than anything, but I'm always interested at how well received she is. Like when stuff about her comes out, like I see so Mm -hmm. many people are very excited and I was just like, oh, wow, I never just. I always thought the whole point of her is that she was kind of unlikable. But people like I her. think that's why people like her. Oh. Like, I think they like that about her. Okay. I'm not that into, into, you know, the street level girls. It ain't too many of them I really <laughs> like. <laughs> and she is not one of them. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, she's there. She's making some moves in this. And again, she is married to Luke Cage, who is the mayor now. Um, or at least running for mayor. Um, so they get back to their base later, and he's like, you know, where is where is she? Like, is she okay? She's like, I'm fine. Like, my ego is bruised, but we were able to save some of the kids. Um, I guess there was something that happened with Mike Murdoch, the like fake twin, basically of uh, Mag- of Matt, who has like a Nornstone. They Again, in this issue, they, like, have those little asterisks next to it so you can say, like, oh, this is what happened. And if you want to find out why he has this Nornstone, you can go find that out yeah. later. Well, there's some kind of continuity there that I just wasn't aware of uh, because I haven't really been reading that many Daredevil stuff. Uh, but I guess he has some kind of Nornstone. He wants to use it to, like, 
fix things and help out. Lil Fisk, if you remember me talking about him before, mm-hmm. Fisk is done. Um, so with the amount of kids that they were able to steal, Kingpin uses this like machine to siphon off their psychic powers and boost uh, Kilgrave's powers. And Kilgrave has a collar around him, Purple Man has a collar around him, and for Kingpin to control him. And he pretty much just says, I'm so sick of these superheroes and like them ruining all this stuff. Kill them. Just go mm-hmm. kill them all. <laughs> so and he just lets the Purple Man free. Um, there also was a turn of events where Doc Ock had been using his own like superior four of these multiversal versions of himself that were also like a Hulk, the Wolverine, a uh, Ghost Rider. Mm-hmm. Turns out that like Purple Man ended up taking them too because that was a part of Kingpin's plans. Like, you know, Doc, you were never really going to be like out on your own and doing his own your own stuff. Like, I'm always the one in control here. So he made sure to take control of them too. And uh, all of these superheroes and the villains end up having this kind of big clash again because Purple Man is like, I'm going to come after the superheroes. And uh, all of a sudden, we get a flash of Kingpin showing up to, I believe it's Mike Mike Murdoch. I'm keeping them mixed up. It's Mike Murdoch's Mm -hmm. apartment, I believe. And he shows up to, Kingpin shows up to literally kill him because Mm -hmm. he thinks it's Matt. He thinks it's Matt. And... That's pretty much what happens. He like bloodily <laughs> kills Mike. Kills Mike, yes. Which, in my opinion, like Mike was like, is he, was he a real character? I don't really know what his deal was. I feel like he was just kind of <laughs> <laughs> he was just kind of there. I feel like he this was, was his he, purpose. <laughs> he was yeah, yeah. And he does end up getting killed in this pretty bloody fight from Kingpin. And I guess that makes sense because that way you can have Fisk kill, quote unquote, Matt and have him think that he's dead. And then when Daredevil pops back up, okay, so now he's trying to figure out is Matt back from the dead or is this somebody else like wearing his suit? Exactly. And and Matt will be able to just restore his secret identity. So next issue, I guess we'll we'll see because that's how it ends. Uh, you know, a, a, a pretty great cliffhanger. The next issue does have, like, the X-Men on the cover. So mm. it'll be interesting to see what's going on there. And it's, uh, you know, Gene, Captain Krakoa is on the cover. Um, mm. Rogue, Sink is on the cover. So it's interesting to see how they end up, like, tying into this. And they're on the main cover, not a tie-in cover. So I don't know how the X-Men are involved in this. So that should okay. be interesting. What would you rate it? Um, Honestly, I'd give this issue a four out of five. I really... Chichetta, his art is like beautiful. Yeah. And I do think that, you know, as much as we talk about that synergy, this is giving MCU, it's it's giving, you know. Daredevil season four on Disney Plus. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Something like that. I could see them be adapting this. And honestly, it's been a pretty fun and pretty well written, like, Daredevil story. It's mm-hmm. basically his own Civil War, but like condensed down for just him. We love to see it. Charlie Cox. Get him back. It. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Up next is Devil's Reign Moon Knight. And this is a number one or number two? This is a number one. I think it's just this one shot, actually. 
Uh, oh, okay. This is from Jed McKay. He continues his run on Moon Knight. The art is from Federico Sabatini. I will I will go ahead and say the art like wasn't to my normal taste. Um, there's a very stylized. I don't think it's I don't think it suits the tone of the story. This is basically Mark in prison during Devil's Reign. He got arrested for being one of the vigilante superheroes out there by Fisk and. This shows him in prison. It's kind of interesting because we get that little bit of him with other heroes also there. And like one of the criminals is talking to him like, why aren't you sitting over there with like Sue and reading all of them? And he's like, just because we're all heroes. He's like, we're not the same type of heroes. I'm not their type of people. I'm more of the rabbit dog guy. He basically kind of goes throughout the issue getting caught up with other prisoners, beating them up in like cage matches, which was really cool. And, of course, like, just terrorizing people in these really brutal ways and kind of dealing with his own monologue about, like, how he doesn't really get the chance to let loose and be crazy very often. And, like, this is one of those times where it's acceptable, but he also is kind of doing it on purpose because by the end of the issue, he's been put in what is basically the hole. And the prisoner, eight ball he was bonding with earlier is like, why would you get yourself put in there? Why would you let the other heroes see that? He's like, you got to understand. He's like, no prison can hold us. He's like reed richards his he's like you think this small prison is going to hold reed richards like everybody's going to break out they're <laughs> going to go after wilson fisk and when they do go after wilson fisk they know that they have to do something drastic and they're going to need a rabid dog so they're going to need me so like he had to kind of show them that i thought that issue point of the issue was like pretty nice again i felt like the art it just felt a little light and it didn't really sell the brutality of the fights that was happening and these fights were like supposed to be very brutal because like moon knight is a brutal guy so he's like beating these guys bloody and really tearing them down but it just i maybe if it had different colors i think to make it a little bit more moody it could have helped a little bit but i will say in that regard um the movement of the art was very nice i felt like it was very kinetic and when like punches were landing and where characters were running at each other i felt that a lot so all in all i continue to really enjoy jen mckay's like moon knight i think personally as a fan i am over the whole moon knight is like the crazy loner hero of all the heroes like we get it and i and i know a lot of moon knight fans actually like really enjoy that about him that he doesn't get caught up in all of these things but it's like at this point like he gets caught up in it so we need to either kind of address (laughs) the situation of him just being basically how wolverine used to be on the team like the guy who you just gotta rein in sometimes he's kind of crazy but like he gets the job done or like just don't have him interact with anybody at all because that's getting a little bit tired but i understand everybody's gonna kind of put their stamp on that and like get that out the way to let you know his relationship with everybody else i also feel like he's just kind of worked with enough of these heroes at this point where we've gotten the stories of him gaining their trust and them kind of coming to terms with the type of hero that he is and just saying Mm -hmm. we do know we need to watch him but his mind's his heart is in the right place, even if his mind isn't. You know what I'm saying? He was on the West Coast Avengers, and he's so he's been around like he was the a team West Coast Avenger. Like he was a Secret Avenger. Um, he was a Midnight Sun. You know, he's like he's been around the block a couple of times. We've done this. He knows these folks, so it's just like yeah, he can't always be the loner. Exactly. So I think I'm ready for that little aspect to end. But other than that, I really did enjoy. It. Um. I think this was a nice little tie into Devil's Ring. You know, I did kind of tap out of Devil's Ring a little bit early, but I'm going to probably go back once it all hits Marvel Unlimited. But I really have enjoyed all the tie-ins of this that I've been reading. I'd probably give this a three out of five. Me too. Okay. 
Nice. Check out that Devil's Reign tie-in for some Moon Knight action, y'all. All right, up next is Eternals number 10, and this is written by Kieran Gillen with art by Isad Rabik. And uh, this is another installment in the, basically the rebranding and relaunch of the Eternals. They are now really becoming more further cemented within the Marvel Universe. And this like is the, the first thing should have had in the movie. This is true. It is. As soon as but, I saw that page with Cersei and Namor, I was just like, they're not going to yeah, make too much of <laughs> Yeah, yeah. This is this is the Cersei that, like, she's the doll. The doll. <laughs> but, I mean, I had a feeling we weren't going to get there when they cast Gemma. Like, they're not going to Gemma. But Gemma can do that, though. Gemma's been, like, a sexy bad girl before. She was doing it in Humans when she was that robot thing. She gave you a little bit of it as Minerva in Captain Marvel. She did? I don't actually know. I didn't pay too much attention. <laughs> I don't know. Even outside of the those action movies. She's just really, really pretty. She's phenomenal. <laughs> Gorgeous woman. Beautiful. Um, but yeah, so this issue opens up with the Cersei basically and Namor coming together and they're like she's like I need to get into the into the celestial base that the Avengers are in now. Um, I didn't know that Namor was a part of the Avengers right now. He just joined in the uh, most recent arc that started. So like when everybody started leaving the team and like She Hulk went away, um, I think Ghost Rider's gone, a couple of other people left. But basically they recruited Namor and Jane Foster. Oh. Okay, Lex, I like that continuity there. Um, yeah. Well, uh, Cersei is using that moment to kind of get into the Celestial base because the Celestial, I'm sorry, the Eternals want to commune with the Celestials, and the only one that is on Earth right now is the currently the Avengers base. Um, so they are trying to get inside there. Cersei leaves this earring on the bed that she was in the room with Namor, and it turns out that the Eternals are inside. Uh, they never really explained exactly how they got inside of this earring, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I just assume that it's just some kind of celestial technology, <laughs> and they were able to be inside of this earring that is also a spaceship. Um, the best parts of this book for me actually were the Thanos uh, sections. Thanos ends up, um, basically, he's had been torturing his parents I'm sorry, no, he was first torturing Fastos, who he had captured last issue because he wants to figure out how he can now be a part of the machine. And the machine is how he would be able to basically become fully eternal. They um, keep uh, torturing poor Fastos. I'm going to have to drop this book. They do, yes. Um, one thing about Thanos is he will, <laughs> he will torture whoever he needs to. Um, Thanos ends up telling Fastos you know, this machine that I have right now is collected. I have control of the machine. I can open this volcanic vent underneath this town of 10,000 people. Either you tell me how I can become part of the machine or don't. Fastos has to think quick. And he's like, I got to buy myself some time and yeah. let him know that I don't really know how to make you a full eternal. But why don't you ask your parents? Like, they're the ones who created mm-hmm. you. They're the only ones that I would really know, like, how to get anything done. So, um it's like, oh, wait a minute. That's a good <laughs> that's, a, that's a good point. So <laughs> he is like, um, but my parents are dead and um not Kingo. 
uh, what's the like shady one that joined him? Druig. Druig, yes. Druig was like, oh, why don't you just ask them? They're like two cells down. They're mm-hmm. eternal. They're obviously alive. Um, so he's like, oh, good point. He goes to see his parents. We get a flash of him. Le- we get a flashback of the Eternals. Basically, he's like trying to infiltrate the Avengers place, and uh, they come into contact with um, the Star Brand baby, who is because she's cosmically oh, yeah. aware, she, she knows that they are inside, but. Uh, uh, Sprite uses her illusions to change herself into like a cartoon character, <laughs> this mm-hmm. random like flip, flippy flop bunny for Starbrand baby to kind of chase after uh, because she, like all Eternals, are telepathic and she kind of read her mind really quickly and see what character she would like. Um, but then we get a flashback to Thanos, who mm-hmm. <laughs> had been torturing his parents this entire time, <laughs> where um, Juick walks into the room and he's like, hey, you know. Do you want me to go and get your mom? She just it has been resurrected. Or do you want to kill her for the sixth time? And he's like, sorry for interrupting you in your conversation because he was in the middle of torturing his dad to death. Mm-hmm. Uh, because crazy man, very. This is dad, this makes me appreciate Thanos as a villain a lot more. I will say. You know, the one thing that I have always liked about Thanos is like how menacing he is, and Thanos. <laughs> For a while, was one of my favorite like Avengers villains. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I love a big, a big cosmic villain, but the MCU kind of not only made him super popular, but then like you know that synergy came into the comics, and they kind of yeah. like the MCU is death for your faves. Yeah, <laughs> truly, they kind of like dumbed him down a little bit to the point where it was like poor Guardians. I know Star Lord has got it pretty bad. I don't know anybody. I mean, the only person I can think of that's as bad as our Lord is Cersei at this point. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay. (laughs) That was unnecessary. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Anywho, we get how menacing he is. Both of his parents tell him, you know, they ask, Thanos asks him, I will blow up this town unless you tell me how you I can become made fully eternal. His dad says, I'm never telling you anything. His mother says, um, <laughs> I don't believe in unconditional love, but I need you to know that my hate for you is unconditional. Like, I'm not telling you anything. Uh, so that was wild to, to witness. Um, the Eternals do end up having, like, a, a, like being able to commune with the Celestials and... Um, Makari has this really cool scene because in order for them to commune with them, she has to like run fast enough to hit all these six panels. And she was in six places at one time, which I thought was really cool. Um, I don't know. But this it, less, it started like, getting in like flash territory for me. I was like, I don't a little know bit. Fast. A little bit. But I knew that like Makari was supposed to be that flat fast before they, the other Makari had like a bunch of uh, issues with Quasar. Like they were really cool friends. And uh, they had that big race issue before where, like, all the fast mm. people ran. I don't know if she's supposed to be that fast, but... Mm. Okay. It's a, little, it's a little overpowered, but we'll see where it goes and how someone can kind of counteract it. But uh, Kingo is left to kind of defend Ajax while she communes with the Celestial. So next issue, we find out pretty much Ajax is going to be fighting. Yeah. Yeah. 
Which I will say, like, that little final shot of Kingo, like, oh, I always wanted to star in a Die Hard movie, like, with his sword out, and then even showing the cover for the next issue with him fighting Captain America, it's hot. I like Kingo. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. you know, if it's one thing, you know, I'm, I'm, in, I'm a hot for it. I'm ready. That's exciting. Yeah, that should be pretty good. I'm excited. I've really been enjoying this, like, reintroduction of the Eternals for, like, the modern mm-hmm. age today. So uh, everything mm-hmm. that, that Sharon has been doing with reestablishing them for mm-hmm. now has been fantastic, in my opinion. I would end up giving this issue a four out of five. Agreed. Definitely a four out of five. I'm enjoying all of the characters. I enjoy Thanos as a villain. I enjoy the story it's building. I'm actually kind of, like, sad that Judgment Day is happening. I don't really need everything to tie in right now. Just like keep telling the story. Mm. Yeah, I'm I'm okay for Judgment Day. I like the idea of everything kind of still. You know, I like when the universe feels like a universe and everyone is kind of involved in something. Um, I don't need like a versus per se, but I I am okay with this event being like a tap in to hey everybody, these things all happen in the same universe. So I I think I like when it happens more in just like a unexpected way it's not as much of a spectacle like I, I would love to like just read the book and be like oh look now the avengers are popping up for whatever reason okay yeah but i get it but i also just understand you gotta you gotta you gotta have your summer events i get it we just had heroes reborn that was the event of the summer they gotta try and follow up <laughs> i get it i love it you're gonna stand for that event and i appreciate it Every time. um so yeah what what would you rate this issue I would give it a four out of five too. I agree. Okay. I, I, I'm right there. I'm really loving the Eternals and everything they're bringing, everything they're doing. Cersei, that's my girl. She's hot. Kingo's cool. Um, I don't like Sprite still, but I did actually laugh out loud at the scene like where Namor and Cersei were like going off to do whatever, and Sprite's like, "If we keep watching this, we're gonna get some content that's way out of my age range." <laughs> <Just> like, <laughs> And it's just like that was yeah, funny. Like, that was a cute little segment. So I really do enjoy the way all of them interact with each other. Yeah, and I did a like I liked um, King of Shade, which was <laughs> it seemed like a little bit of uh, Batman or oh, Justice League Shade when mm-hmm. he was like, oh, there was this movie that came out and um, it was four hours long. It could have been two hours. <laughs> we kept adding slow mos. I thought that was funny. Yeah, um, that was great issue. I think I should be checking out Eternals. All right, up next is, actually, we need to change the order for these. Trial of the Amazons, number one, um, because mm-hmm. the, this that was part one of Trial of the Amazons. Um, mm-hmm. The second part was uh, Nubia and the Amazons. I guess we can kind of talk about them yeah, together. together. Yeah, you know, and see how they kind of flow together. Starting with Trial of the Amazons, uh, this is... An issue that I thought was beautifully drawn. I love all the different mm-hmm. artists that are involved in this. Uh, the writers and artists were, let me see. I know this was a list. There was quite a list. I know like some of the artists were like Joelle Jones, Skylar Patridge. I believe Stephanie and Vita were also writing some parts of this. Yes, it looks like Stephanie, Stephanie Williams, Vita Ayala, Joel Jones, um, and Michael Conrad and Becky Cloonan were the writers. And Laura Braga, Skylar Patridge, Joel Jones, Elena Casagrande, and uh, Romelo Fajardo Jr. Uh, were the artists. It's talent all around. Like Yeah, for sure. You know, Actually, I'm sorry. Uh, Romelo uh, Fajardo and Joey Belair were the colorists. 
talent. Like, what do you mean? Talent. And, you know, yeah, that's why it looks so good. <laughs> and just kind of, Wonder Woman hasn't really had a lot of things centered around her and focused on her, especially since Trial of the Amazons. I mean, not Trial of the Amazons, Attack of the Amazons, which happened all those years ago. And that was kind of like divisive among a lot of the fandom. But this one here, I feel like what they finally kind of done with the Wonder Woman cornered, I feel like it was always so focused heavily on Diana. And a lot of Themyscira mm-hmm. and the Amazons were an afterthought. Like, we would get them every now and again, but it was really more so like, okay, well, how is this affecting Diane? I really love about this that we're seeing, like, the Amazons, and we're getting the Bonham McDowell, and we're getting, you know, Yara's tribe coming in, and everybody, and it really does feel like a group now, a nation, a people, like, with their own identities and stuff, and it makes it a lot more enjoyable, because honestly, Diane has been coasting for a little bit, well, for a long bit, but now we have some Tea. people who are actually coming in and they're doing what needs to be doing. Faruka, she's shaking up the spot. Listen, she okay. said, I'm, I'm here to uh, shake the table. <laughs> like, <laughs> Y'all don't want to talk about it? I want to talk about it. It's, and, it's, and, it's, and it's like so refreshing because you, and again, you see all these differences in personalities because you see Diana and she's like, oh, we need to be like so caring and we need to think about this. And it's like, you don't really see too many people challenge Diana outside and like, mm. even when she fight the thing about wonder woman is that like she's perfect she can't be beat she's always fighting she's super strong she's invulnerable she's doing what needs to be done no one's ever really challenging her here's faruka's coming it's like girl i'll beat your ass <laughs> man i want to do it right now <laughs> and like, do it right now and it's like you don't get to walk away from me and it's like i want to talk to you and it's like yes like this is what we need this is what we've been waiting for and it's like so refreshing to see that and then also just to get to know so many of these women on a much deeper level than the very superficial one again nubia is a, is a character who has been around for like 40 years Truly. This miniseries, like, the the Amazon, <laughs> what do you mean? Like, yeah. this is the most characterization this woman has ever gotten. And, like, that is a true testament to the Wonderline and the things that they're pushing forward. And I'm, like, honestly enjoying it a whole lot. I love this. Yeah, I think that the Wonder Corner really needed an event like this, really, to kind of um, hype it up. Like you kind of had already said, it really just hindered a lot on Diana. And while people may know her, that doesn't mean they necessarily like her or they may like other Amazons. Um, and and people are in into Themyscira and like, you know, everything that happens there. So we love um, women warriors. I cannot say yes. enough. We love Absolutely. women warriors. <laughs> yes. I want to see them fight. <laughs> OK. And be the best. So, mm-hmm. like, I appreciate that we are showing this trial in the end that like. One thing I appreciate about character development and just characters in general are when we get to see the differences between these characters. Everybody don't always have to get along. And I think that yeah. sometimes with Diana, that was always the case because she's leading with compassion and, and love and everything. So, I know. And most of the time, everything has to like people get along and everything. No one ever really challenges her because she's just representing peace. But now these are amazons people who are supposed to be of your own and they are like no girl (laughs) the um the amazons have lost their way we don't really get down like that um Mm -hmm. so i do appreciate this this issue pretty much everyone is showing up now to be they're holding the games for who's going to be the the champion for doom's door and uh nubia is letting everyone know and like that you know we're going to have this we're going to have a feast and everything, and people are showing up at the door. She doesn't feel just right because there has been some kind of 
oracle uh, premonitions and stuff going on that people are like something bad will probably happen, but they're yeah, still going to come. And who shows up? Yara. <laughs> so right, the some kind of some kind of vibes are coming. I did like I did like that the Wonder Girls kind of stick together. Um, yeah. It seemed to be a, a a theme amongst the Wonder Girl like mantle that they normally mm-hmm. don't really get along with the Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think that that is an interesting thing that all the Wonder Girls are kind of like together and they're I cool with each other. I also thought it was interesting. Um, sorry, to, not to cut you off, but I thought it was interesting how like when they showed all the different Amazons at the feast and they were like all sitting in whatever spots, like Cassie and Donna were still with Yara's crew. And yeah. it was just like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, because I think I think I mean, and you know, and that's not to say that they're like trying to jump ship or go to a new the new tribe or anything like that, but it's just like it'll be interesting if one of the facets of this uh, tournament with all of the Amazons together will we see some saying like, oh, actually, I think what they're doing over there is a little bit more interesting. I'm gonna go with them and see in some switchings of the tribe. You know, they have the different, like, symbols for all the different tribes, the three different tribes that they have there with the Amazons, the Banamigdal, and I can't really pronounce the Esquerdo, I think that's how you pronounce it. I'm really sure um, of where Yara's from. And um, I would not be shocked if Cassie and Donna were like, oh, we're just going to kick it with her because, like, they just spent all this time together with her over there in the Amazon. So, like, they just probably are just... Mm-hmm. They see their side better than maybe yeah. than Diana will or any of the other women. Definitely better than Diana will. <laughs> so uh, later on, we get a, the challenge from uh, Baruka, challenge with Diana, be like, yeah, girl, but like people aren't fighting the way they used to. And Nubia brings up that we're going to have this fight or this the, the games basically for uh, Doom's doorway. And Baruka says, well, what about the queenhood? Um, we believe that if you're gonna be queen, you should be, you should fight for it, and it mm-hmm. should just be for you like it is for some people. And she looked at <laughs> basically looked over at uh, Nubia and was like, "Yeah, we talking What's about up? you." What's <laughs> up? So Nubia was like, "You know, hey, if y'all want to have a fight for the uh, for the crown too, fine, we'll do Period. that." Uh, we do some tender moment between. Um, Hippolyta, who has returned from her stint as Wonder Woman, basically, on the Justice League, uh, because Diana has returned to the mortal plane. I'm assuming she had been gone this entire time. I remember in Future State, she basically, like, ascended. I don't know what happened in the Wonder Woman, I remember she was fighting Thor and, like, the Vikings at one point. I didn't know what was happening. I don't know. Either way, she's back now, so her mom is coming back to say, hey, you know, that's my daughter. I come back. But we get a tender moment between her and Philippus, and it shows, like, them making out. And they have basically been in love, which makes sense because I know that yeah. that's like been her like thing. general sense. Yeah. That was a cute moment um, between and them. And it was nice to have it like confirmed. Yeah, I like that they have it on panel. Um, so later on, Philippus is like, you know, I am going to go back and check on Hippolyta and see what's up. She has and come to find out she had been poisoned. Mm. Um we don't know what happened. She's been killed. Um, yeah, so that was the end of the first issue of Child of the Amazons. I really enjoyed all of the beautiful mm-hmm. art and the setup for this issue. What did you think? I really liked it. I'm, I'm into the whole thing. And even, like, 
I was into the buildup of the Amazons and having them all come and be seen. And then even when we get into Nubia's issue and we did a little bit more with like Hippolyta dying and just like continuing on with the ceremony. And then the Amazons who are down there at Death's doorway kind of like, we just know that there's bad vibes. Something is coming, something is happening. I think the buildup to this whole thing is very nice. I'm excited to see how it continues on and how it goes. I also really liked how in Nubia number six, there was that like brief moment when Medusa was talking to Nubia and Diana walks in and she was like, oh, I got to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did like that too. Oh, <laughs> uh, and I think that, again, it was a nice little, like, tense moment that just showed that, like, there's a lot of history here that can be built on and, like, just we're being mined and, like, this community is, like, so much bigger than just her. And it's like... The Amazons got it. Shout out to the girls. I honestly would give, like, Trial of Amazons probably a four out of five. Um, and I think I would also give Nubia and the Amazons number six or four out of five. I enjoyed a lot of them. And, like, shout out to everybody involved. I will, too. I really enjoyed... Um, first of all, I enjoyed the Nubia and the Amazons, like, thing as a whole. Yes, I had yeah. some issues sometimes with the way that Nubia seems just to be a little perfect. But I think... I think that might be an Amazonian thing. I think they just, yeah. like, just... <laughs> it is what it is. I think, and I think even with Nubia and like her perfection, I think it's a little bit. I like that it's challenged. It's not like certain yes. characters who are like often perfect and then they do whatever they do and everybody's just like, oh okay, like that's cool. That's just who she is. Just Jean being Jean. But here it's like, <laughs> no, it's like people look at her and they're like, no girl, you perfect. Get down and get dirty again. Faruga's like, let's fight. Like, you're supposed yes. to be this person. Like, let's be that. And, like, I think that's what makes her little perfectionism a lot more enjoyable. Because even though she does want to lead with empathy and, like, respect and all that stuff, she knows that at the end of the day, we are a warring nation. We are warrior women, and we got to get down. Period. I agree with that. I think that has actually been the most interesting thing for me and Nubia. Um I'm normally not super into like the monarch king and queen kind of characters. However, with this one, it feels right for Nubia because it feels like that's just the the next kind of spot for her to be the queen here. But it isn't one that was just given to her. And we just are praising her because she looks beautiful on the throne. People are challenging her and we get to actually see her responses to those challenges where she's not always right. um, And she's not always wrong either. So yeah. I, I appreciate if you're going to put someone on that throne, they need to earn it and we need to like see them challenged for it. Yeah. Good times. Um, yeah. So we'll see what's going on later with this. I definitely would recommend this miniseries for Nubia. Um, it really set her up perfectly to kind of really just spring boy from here and go on. I don't really know if I need her to like become Wonder Woman and join the Justice League or anything like that. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm interested mm-hmm. to see what she's doing like right now for the time. Yeah, I think that I think we can spend like at least another two, maybe a year or two on just like mm-hmm. Nubia, queen of the Amazons and like, yes, and getting that story out. And then, sure, she can go team up with Batman or something in Gotham. Why would she be in Gotham? I don't know, but they'll find Batman out. Sell. <laughs> <laughs> they'll find Batman sells. So they will find a way. <laughs> All right. On that note, let's take a break and we'll come back with a very special panel where we'll be talking about continuity and progress and how to really move a lot of this stuff forward. So uh, let's take a break and then we'll come right back.
right, everybody, welcome back to the panel section of the show. And this week, we want to do something really special and um, have someone on that we can help us talk about nostalgia and a continuity and kind of how do we move these characters forward. Y'all know how we talk about that stuff on here. So uh, we want to introduce, you may know him from some of his IDW work on Dungeons and Dragons or his image stuff with Wayward or stuff that I really like, which was his Marvel work on Uncanny Avengers. Uh, please welcome Mr. Jim Zub. Hey. Woo. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yes, thank you for coming. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. And I'm pumped to talk about comics as always. <laughs> That's what I like to hear. Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> you guys said you, so, you specialize in talking about nostalgia. This is something really important to you? Yeah. You know, um, it's important to LV. Nostalgia has really kind of, <laughs> 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 nostalgia has really kind of done something to a lot of my favorite characters. Um, not always the best things, sure. <laughs> but um, you know, it's kind of been a roadblock for a lot of my favorite characters. Um, I recognize that we all have these special moments with characters and we want to like see them do that stuff again. But how many times are we going to see them do that stuff again? Yeah. <laughs> That's the, the the nature of continuity. And the reason why we love, you know, these shared universes, particularly things like the DC universe or the Marvel universe, is because it feels like it has this ongoing quality, that it's continually growing and it's continually changing and evolving. And it involves us. It's, you know, this big soap operatic kind of world of, of excitement and dynamic kind of change. And yet you don't want to stray so far from the core of a character and trying to make sure that it feels like you, you get the boast of both worlds, that you understand who these characters are and you can appreciate them, but you're also challenging them. And I, you know, for me as a fan growing up, and I think this is true of almost every fan, when you start reading the characters and when you discover them feels like such an important part because that's when you locked mm -hmm. into what made them appreciate them or, or or particular moments that really turned it just from being like, oh, that character is pretty neat to, oh, I am a fan of that character. I will follow their story going forward. And um, that desire, I think, from all of us to want to, to keep that emotional quality of discovery and excitement, but mm -hmm. also not letting it fall into repetition, right? And then coming at it for me, like as a creator, obviously I started as a fan and as a collector, and now I have a small kind of stake in in changing those stories or in in moving those moving the ball forward. And how do you do that? How do you do that in a way that feels respectful, but also not boring? You know, and like you were saying, repetitive, where you just see the same kind of thing happening over and over again to a character. And what does that you know kind of feel like? And these are the conversations like I think uh, most creators have internally or you know, with ourselves or with other people we're working with or with our editors and inadvertently, you know, with, with the readers. Once you make one of those choices, how do they respond? You know, are they excited? Are they freaked out? You know, I want you to be mostly freaked out. Right. But <laughs> I, wa I want you to to be excited and not know where things are going. If you know exactly how it's going to end, if you know exactly where this story is going, then it's like, well, it's a yawn, you know, like, why am I even here? following from month to month or issue to issue but on the other hand does it even make sense does it feel like a cool logical extension of the character and there's no easy answers man it's like that's what's so interesting about working on it it's really interesting that you say kind of about you know 
meeting the characters for the first time and those impressions yeah. say, staying with us. Do you feel as though in the industry, like as a writer or maybe someone who's kind of piggybacked off of a story you've written that there's ever a feeling to redo it in a sense, especially with characters that you like or just stories in general, you read something at one point, you say like, oh, this was really good or like it it was fine, but I wish it could have been this and then sure. you get the chance to like. I mean, it's weird, right? Cause it, you know, I know some creators will say like, oh, the characters speak to them and they're just relaying their story and all those kind of dramatic creative things. But the reality is we do have a big swing in terms of how this stuff is portrayed or what we're doing. Yeah. And it's really easy to want to go, well, this is my favorite version of the character. So regardless of what has happened since I was a reader, I'm going to drag them back to that point. I'm going to mm -hmm. pull them out of orbit, whatever they were doing, and make it like the version I like. And it's like, if you could do that in a way that feels creative and interesting and surprising and, and makes sense, then I guess there's some justification for it. But I feel like a lot of times writers can be very indulgent where they're just like, I'm just going to ignore the stuff that isn't, you know, and, and we all... With these characters where they have decades worth of stories, there is always some parts that you ignore. There's some parts you're downplaying while you're up building other things, right? Or you decide this is a quality that is more important to you. You know, I'm a pretty big continuity nerd. Like I love that stuff. And sometimes I read these stories and I go, oh, this part sucks. Like I really don't like the way they did this thing with this character. So then it becomes a bit like problem solving. Like is there a way that I can pull them out of this element without it just being like snap? Okay, we're not doing that anymore. You know what I mean? Mm. In a way that's gonna jerk people around or make them feel like nothing matters. I think one of the dangers that we have with long continuity and with constant reboots and all these sorts of things is, is that you can shake people out of reading that they, they say, well, none of this matters. Well, I mean, you did this cool thing and then you undid it instantly why am I even reading this again? You know, like that can't mm -hmm. be, you, you've got to have enough respect for what has come before to at least acknowledge it. Even if you're going to, you know, turn the steering wheel and change the the road that this character is going on, you have to acknowledge the road behind you, that where you yeah. went happened and why it happened and, and justify some of those things. And that can be difficult at times while you're simultaneously trying to bring new readers in the door, while you're simultaneously trying to create a complete, I don't know, unit of entertainment that, that makes yeah. sense, you know? But when I was a kid, I never felt like, I really liked feeling like I was being dropped into the middle of a story. I don't know about you guys, but like when I, I when I would actually. collect a book, I there was it. this feeling, yeah, this feeling that not only was the story going forward, but that it extended back behind them and that I could find more and discover more if I wanted to dig through back issues and stuff like that. Or if I couldn't afford those back issues because they were really old, you know, collectibles, then I would read something like the official handbook, the Marvel universe. Now you just look at the Marvel wiki or something like that and go, mm. oh, wow, look at all these cool things that came before. Look at all this amazing stuff, this like tapestry that has been woven from all these characters interacting with each other, you know? But that's me. Like, I know some other people feel very strongly about the like, okay, fresh start sort of stuff. Like we have to make it unbelievably new reader friendly. And you're like, you know, with digital at our disposal, I don't think it's as much of a problem as people want to make it out to be per se, you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, you got Google in your pocket, so. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, let alone Marvel Unlimited or trade paperbacks or any of these other things, right? Like as long as, you know in the moment what this character is all about and what they want now 
you know? And so if there's some reference to the fact that, oh, they've gone to alien worlds before, you're like, oh, they have? Cool, they've been on a spaceship. Maybe at some point I'll read that story, but that's all I really need to know. In this moment, mm -hmm. they like so-and-so or they hate so-and-so or they have a past history or whatever. I get it, now move the ball forward, let's go to the next thing. You know, mm -hmm. um, okay. I, that's that's kind of how I feel about it. I used to love when you would get the little asterisks and it would tell you in a caption some tie back those. to those old stories, <laughs> right? Because it it first of all it helps you to acknowledge this stuff has come before, and it's a convention of comics. Like it's not like you read a novel and it says check this previous book, you know. But mm -hmm. comics are a bit more dynamic in that way, and I don't feel like. It, it doesn't kick me out of the story. It just is a little quick acknowledgement. And if I want to go back later and then read that tether, I feel like if it's done well, you know, that's cool. What, the only thing I don't like is if you feel like the story is absolutely incomplete. Like I didn't just get a nice solid chapter of storytelling. It's like, oh, I have to read these five other things just to understand why this is happening. Yeah. Like, why? why why are you making me do that you know what i mean like that's the only time when i feel like it can be kind of egregious and you're like what a, what the hell is this thing it's such a mess you know um so our yeah. job you know as storytellers is to make sure that you have both that you feel like this thing is part of the bigger picture but that it also works on its own merits that at least if i'm reading this yeah so um i did uh, uh this mini series called um empire avengers so the empire event was going mm. on last year and there's this huge cosmic battle happening in space and there's this uh plant alien race called the kotati and they're basically trying to take over earth you know you knowing all the dynamics of why this alien race is attacking or what the politics are between the kree and the scroll and all this kind of stuff like that is part of the big story but the story i was trying to tell was okay if these plant creatures and these plant aliens are trying to take over nature what does that do in the savage land? And how does someone like Kazar, you know, what, what does that do to their world and their life and their kind of future? Mm -hmm. So you knowing there are plant aliens attacking is all you kind of need as a baseline. Yeah. And then it's like, this is Kazar's story and these are the Avengers coming to help him. Got it, boom, that's, that's what you need. If you wanna read about the broader empire event and appreciate all the nuances and things that are going on, you can. But what you need to read my book is, you know that guy who lives in the jungle and he's married and he's got a kid and uh, there's dinosaurs and stuff? Yeah, he's in danger because alien plants, <laughs> got it, go, boom. And, and, and away you go, can I make this interesting? Can I make it dynamic, you know? Black Knight is on the team that gets pulled together to go fight in the Savage Land. And in previous stories, the curse of the Ebony Blade was a real problem. So when he gets recruited for the team, you know, Cap, Captain America says to him, I know you've really struggled and you want to do better. And he goes, yeah, I, you know, I feel like I'm going to be I'm making some breakthroughs and I just want to, I want to get back to when I was an Avenger when I was doing good things. And then mm -hmm. there's a little reference to previous miniseries. You're like, oh, Black Knight's having problems. Got it. If I want, if I give a damn about Black Knight and I want to find out what that is, I can go find out. But all I need to know to read this unit, to read this comic is Black Knight's on this team dude's having some trouble. Okay, got it. Go, let's go. Next thing, you know? And that and that's mm. that's continuity to me. That's like good use of the form and the tools at my disposal, but I never like kicking you out. Like like Black mm. Knight would not suddenly erupt some crazy thing that we've never seen before and you have no idea why 
he's doing what he's doing. And then we're like, well, if you want to appreciate this, you're going to have to go read these other 10 issues. You're like, no, mm -hmm. no, that's not, that's not cool. You know, that's not the way we want to do it. So, yeah. You know, right. I, I have a question for you. Sure. Uh, it's like, you say you, you can implant Black Knight into this character. And if a person wants to figure out more about him, then they can go yeah. back and do those readings. Elsie and I are big comic fans, and we kind of love to go back and do reading. And one thing that we've sure. noticed is that as newer comic fans come into the industry and learn about things, it doesn't always feel as though they go back as far. As yeah, like, I, I don't know if that's just perception. Like, I think some of them we're do. Old. <laughs> no, but, <laughs> yeah, I think part of it is just our natural, you know, old man shaking fist at clouds kind of. We, what are you, you kids don't do it right. Like, I'm sure in the 80s. And, and not even to say that they don't do it right, but just no, more sure. so, like, do you feel like there's a certain point now? I actually where, feel like, like it's uh, more the publishers feel, they think that fans won't go back. Do you know what I mean? Rather than, oh, yeah. it's it, like, it sounds really weird to say, but like retailers and publishers need to train the readership. You need to tell people what's important, right? So mm -hmm. if you don't have a clear trade paperback program that's got nice clean labels and an easy way to jump in with these characters, then don't be surprised when they don't go back. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's that's part of the problem. So if you have a bad, you know, not bad marketing per se, because I think they're marketing the current stuff well, but it's like, if you can't point people towards easy access points to go, this is where, <laughs> this is the best point to jump in for Spider-Man. This is the best point to jump in for the Avengers right now, or this is how this stuff all ties together. And you don't have those resources at people's disposal, then it is harder. Then you're leaving it up to the fans to figure it out for themselves, which is not always the best way to kind of do this stuff, right? So um, I think it's also up to retailers that when someone comes walking in the door and they say, oh man, I love Wolverine. And you mm -hmm. say, you know what? Uh, like X lives and X deaths of Wolverine is a really hard jumping in point because it's like deep continuity of this character. That's mm -hmm. not going to necessarily work for you. Not because it's a bad story or that Ben Percy and the crew are doing a bad job, but just like understanding, pointing a new reader right at that, right out of the gate might be, might be rough, yeah. you know, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and any of it, and I could say that about a hundred other titles and, and my titles as well. Like anything that you're working on, you've got to look at it and go, okay, how do we fit this into the broader thing? Or what am I telling people about what's important? You know, so I'm doing this new Thunderbolts book that's going to be launching in yes. May. And I'm Very really, really excited about it. And the cast mm -hmm. is really different and the concepts uh, a different take on the Thunderbolts than previous ones. And it's not because I don't like the Thunderbolts. Hell, I've written the Thunderbolts. I wrote them in 2016 <laughs> yeah. and 2017 with the classic cast of characters. And I love that cast. And I think they're really cool. But this was an opportunity to take a different sort of angle and a different approach and to use the stuff that Zdarsky and crew were doing with Devil's Reign and spring out of it with this different concept. And so my goal is, if you've been reading Devil's Reign, you'll know exactly what's going on. If you've read previous, you know, kind of uh, Hawkeye stories, you get a sense of what he's all about, but you could jump in pretty fresh. You could jump in pretty fresh. And what you need to know is out of Devil's Reign, there's a new Thunderbolts team. They're trying to reform the name. You know, Kingpin has had a team he calls the Thunderbolts. They're like blatant villains. They're terrible. Mm -hmm. They're corrupt. They're awful. And Luke Cage and, and Hawkeye basically said no, because they both led the Thunderbolts in the past. They said, this name is worthy. 
we don't want the last word on the Thunderbolts to be these awful criminals. We're going to do it fresh. We're going to do it better. Do they succeed? Well, there's a lot of stuff in their way. And that's why we tell these stories because they're <laughs> dramatic challenges and all that kind of stuff. Right. And so, you know, I'm and trying you know, to make Clint it. Is... Yeah. And Clint has problems galore, man. Like the guy has been a leader and he's done incredible things, but he's also sometimes his own worst enemy and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, is he ready to be a leader again? Is this team, the way that it's assembled is not your traditional kind of, of you know, deep bonds between people. There's more going on there. And so as those cards get turned in this story, hopefully people are going to be excited and, and surprised by what we, you know, pull off here with the, with the book. Um, and so it's, it's important for me to acknowledge Devil's Reign. It's important for me to acknowledge mm -hmm. multiple iterations of the Thunderbolts that have come before, but but I can talk about that in broad brushstrokes. Previously, these were criminals that tried to reform themselves. Or previously, this particular team, Kingpin's Thunderbolts, are like awful, terrible criminals. These, this new team's trying to do it better. Great. That's really all you need to know to jump in. Like, is there more nuance to it? Of course. But I can explain that to someone. You know, did you like Hawkeye when you watched him on the TV show? Yeah. This is like Hawkeye trying to lead a team. And he sometimes sucks at it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Oh, okay, cool. And some of these people want to be on the team and some of them don't want to be on the team. And some of them are there for altruistic reasons. And some of them are there for selfish reasons. Go. And it's like that, that's kind of the core concept. And all the continuity of previous stories is, is there and being addressed. But if I can hand this to a new reader and I can go, you like that guy from Avengers? You know, you like that guy from the Disney Plus show? It's like that. But this you know and that's that's kind of my goal is to make it new reader friendly but that doesn't mean shutting off continuity or turning off all the nostalgia or pretending previous comic stories didn't exist you know do you think that also kind of helps in the way that you build the teams for your books of like how long they've been around or like the type of continuity they have whether it's like i mean i love that stuff again like i love you know i did when i did uncanny avengers man like it was such a weird cross-section of characters because you have yeah. like some of the oldest characters in the marvel universe like janet van dyne you know the wasp mm -hmm. you've got like dr voodoo like it like that was <laughs> right you got you got johnny storm the human torch it was such a weird team. You've got Simon Williams, you've got Hank McCoy. Like these characters are some of the oldest and most storied characters in the Marvel universe. And they've been brought together originally under this auspice of we need mutants and humans to get along, you know? Mm -hmm. And then the team gets kind of officially disbanded because of the Hydra version of Captain America, but Rogue and the team keeps it going because they believe in the concept. They believe in, in the need for this team to exist. And so for me, it was like, it was this fascinating thing where you have characters who are all very experienced, but that doesn't mean that they are perfect, that they, that they're, you know, particularly in how they get along with each other, you know, and then I inject something like Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch into the mix and they've got deep drama, con, you know, drama <laughs> exactly that they're bringing in they the inside man that's that's well, the whole right, thing right there. <laughs> yeah yeah you've got you've got the you've got drama with simon you've got drama with you know wanda you've got 
uh, you know, Pietro's attitude and standoffedness and, and all this kind of stuff. And so it's creating those dramatic sparks in that's where the kind of fun comes and where the drama builds. And it's one of the reasons why I really like writing team books. And it seems like Marvel agrees because they keep giving me team books. So you um, write some really good ones. I'm going to give you thanks, great teams. Yeah. I find it really fascinating. Yeah. It's like a joy because I, it's weird because I literally, I haven't written a solo book at Marvel yet. So <laughs> the the ability to like, I can't imagine having 20 pages to focus on one character. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> would I get bored? Like, I don't know. Cause there's, I need, I'd probably have to build a small cast around them just to make it fill it out. Right. Because I love the fact that at any moment we can check in with the cast and we can move their story forward and then check in with someone else and then create different synergies between these characters. Like this character is now in this scene with someone who they don't normally hang out with. And what is that like? And, and do they have anything in common? Or if they don't, how do they contrast off each other? And that's where you find fun dialogue possibilities and interesting interactions. And particularly when the combat starts, it's like, how do these characters' powers even synergize? How can they do a cool cool stuff with each other you know and so I really love that stuff I find it really it's like a little puzzle I get to constantly rearrange pieces and do different things with it um and this Thunderbolts team is that on a big level because I got to assemble this really funky team that is like some new characters some old characters and and all their motivations kind of cross purpose with each other some of them with really deep, long histories, and some of them we're creating brand new, like we're launching a new character in issue one, and we've got another new character in issue two. And that's, that's cool. thanks, man. Like there's some really neat stuff that we're putting into the mix, like um, that I think is gonna surprise people. Like it's not just a matter of, of okay, let's take the same old ingredients. It's like, okay, let's try and, and, and make it interesting. You know, Monica Rambeau's on the team, and for me as a kid, <laughs> she was Captain Marvel. Like there was no Carol Danvers. Like Carol Danvers existed, but she was like off in space. She was this yeah. other character called Binary. Um, you know, like like Monica Rambeau was leader of the Avengers for a while when I was collecting the book as a kid. Like she was a powerhouse. She was awesome. And so mm -hmm. it's like, okay, I want to, just getting the chance to write her again. I wrote her a little bit in Avengers No Road Home, no but mm -hmm. like, yeah, let's let's do uh, something funky here, and see if we can bring her into the mix in an interesting way. And and I know all kinds she's of got stuff a like special that. kind of vest on. Yes, yeah, totally, <laughs> man. And again, that's a form of continuity, and we're gonna play into that. Like her relationship with Blue Marvel and the stuff that, you know, Al did such a wonderful job building that up. You know, in the mm -hmm. Ultimates and all that kind of stuff, and I don't want to just pretend that doesn't exist. Like that's mm -hmm. part of her ongoing story, regardless of whether or not Blue Marvel's on this team. There's other stuff going on. Their lives are continuing, and all those kinds of things. And so I love acknowledging that stuff. Yeah, man, it's <laughs> why it makes it rewards readers for paying attention. It rewards readers for being part of the ongoing journey you know mm -hmm. and yet a new reader can also dive in and go oh that's her outfit and then later on you find out oh oh cool <laughs> that's that's something nice right like and so for me you know and some of it is also just my collaborators as well so sean isaacs who's the amazing artist i'm working with on thunderbolts I lo I love he it, loves man. he loves clint barton he loves hawkeye and he's like i lo he loves particularly the classic swashbuckler with the mask you know hawkeye costume mm -hmm. And so he's like, I know the more modern version with the t-shirt and the blue, you know, sorry, the purple uh, uh, icon on it and everything has is, is been around for a while because of the matte fraction. 
mm-hmm. you know, David Aja run, but can we hearken back to something a little bit more in that kind of swashbuckler mode? I'm like, I'm more than happy to see that. So he found, I think, a really cool balance between old and new yeah. with the character. The and it plays into some of the thematics of how Clint is feeling in our story. Like Clint's life has been an absolute mess. And one of the reasons why he's taking on this leadership role is because he's trying to find the time in his life when he felt like he had control, like he knew what he was doing. And when he was leader of the West Coast Avengers, as dramatic as that was, and as difficult as that was, he also had his hand on the steering (laughs) wheel. You know what I mean? And so it's like Clint trying to get back to that pure version, or at least you know, it's like a midlife crisis kind of version. Like you, 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 you look back nostalgically and you think everything was better when you were a kid or everything was better when you were a teenager, mm-hmm. everything was better when you were in high school or university or pick up a moment in time, right? That one, you know, and you forget the bad parts or you've paved over the bad memories, you know, and this is Clint in full effect right now is him trying to get back to that good place, but he's not looking at it purely. Like he's got, you know, the, the, um, the rose colored yeah, glasses. Yeah, he's totally got rose colored glasses on it. So if part of that is reflected in his desire to have a uniform that's a bit more like his old school self, because then maybe he can be more like his old school self, then that's something we can sort of put through in the artwork. And it, and it also is something that Sean really wanted on the art. So it's like, cool. Everything kind of synergizes together. The artist really wants to draw this old, more old school costume. I feel like it plays into some of the themes of the story that we're doing and all kinds of stuff, you know? Um, and that those are fun little Easter eggs and they're little bits of continuity and nostalgia that we can work with, but it doesn't mean I'm gonna put Hawkeye in the old costume and then pretend none of the stories happened after that costume, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or I'm gonna just yank everything back to that earlier point in time. Like, it's like, not like all of a sudden they go, okay, and Mockingbird's here and their marriage is back on and everything's, you know, like perfect. Like, that's not what we're trying to do here, you know? Cause that's not fair to the characters and it's not fair to the readers who have watched the character progress for me to just pull them out of the story and go, well, I liked it better when he was married, you know? So boom, he's back with Bobby Morris. And you're like, no, that's not, that's like, not. No, no, thank you. Not today. <laughs> yeah, it's not because, it's not because I don't like Mockingbird and it's not because, but it's like, if I were to do that, and I'm not saying I'm going to, but if I was going to do that, then you have to earn it. You have to earn mm. those two characters coming mm. back together. You have to earn, you know, that kind of a thing. And the same thing would hold true if, if you were going to put, Scarlet Witch and Vision back together, or if you were going to put, you know, any of those kinds of things, like any relationship in particular, if you just turn it on, like, like flipping a light switch, the readers don't care. They don't believe in it, you know? Yeah. That's how I always felt about Simon and Wanda. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and then I, I kind of broke them up in a big way, right? Like, yeah, I, I had, appreciated that. <laughs> thanks, man. I'm like, well, okay, and it's weird because, you know, Wanda is one of my absolute favorite Avengers. I've got a real bias for magic characters and supernatural characters because I love sword and sorcery. I lost you. Love sword and sorcery, right? So, you know, Black Knight or Doctor Strange or Scarlet Witch, it's like, oh, wait, they're like medieval heroes and they're superheroes? Like, they're the best characters, right? So um, Scarlet Witch has always been near and dear to me as a character. And one of the things when I took over, you know, Uncanny Avengers and then brought her into the mix was this idea of, look, she's been in this hamster wheel of like, vision or simon you know back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and it's like it's not fair 
to her as a character to be totally defined by these relationships. Like she has to be her own character. And um, the solo series of Scarlet Witch touched on that a little bit. And I was like, okay, I wanna have sort of a similar idea that rather than her just getting back on board with Simon once he's returned you know, from his ionic energy form or whatever, that she's gonna sort of chart a path. She's gonna, she's gonna deke left. She's gonna go another way and go, I'm going to try something else. Like I need to figure out who I am, you know? Yeah. And so she kind of calls it off on him and he's heartbroken. And it's like, that's, that's sometimes how relationships end. Like it's one person yeah. just pulls, you know, puts the brakes on it and the other person still wants to drive. And you're like, tough, I'm getting out. Like that's all there is, you know? And um, it felt true. It felt interesting. And it, it enabled us to sort of say, okay, who will want to be going forward? The person she wants to be instead of feeling like she's trailing behind a man or whatever. And then when she chooses to start a relationship with, um, you know, Dr. Voodoo, it's this idea of, okay, Jericho sees different parts of her, sees parts of her as the sorceress that she is and the magic that's part of her life. And also that she's been through these traumatic journeys in terms of possession, you know, and all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So he's, uniquely suited to see certain aspects of her that have not been acknowledged fully or or dealt with and it's not that he's there to be her therapist but you know a good relationship is about building and growing with each other and so i felt like they could be a good fit together and let's try this out and then you know it's a matter of me or other writers then exploring the possibilities that that going forward in other stories you know and one of the things you have to acknowledge in the shared Marvel universe is you don't get to control. Like at some point, yeah. someone else is going to take over. You hand off the baton to someone else, you know, mm -hmm. uh, in, in much the same way. And sometimes I pick it up. Right. So like the example I used before with Empire Avengers, Kazar at the end of that story gets essentially his soul kind of bonded to the savage land. He's got this new kind of, um, supernatural power connecting him to the land much like his wife uh shanna has and uh i thought oh i've got some ideas for stories on that but that was not to be like zach thompson they asked him to pitch a kazar series he picked up the torch and he basically showed how that power develops and how it changes his relationship with his wife and his son i have to kind of like you know i could get annoyed and go oh man i was going to do that but it's like no it's it's the shared marvel universe we're all creators mm -hmm. and we're all throwing down ideas into this thing you know and in, in much the same way the thunderbolts under kingpin you know and the the idea of the that villainous team has existed and a couple different creative teams have contributed to it and now i've got this demarcation point where i say okay that version of the team is done and now hank's doing sorry hank clint is doing this team, you know, going forward. And and it's like, okay, that's the ever evolving, ever changing Marvel universe, you know? And, you know, and that's how this stuff works. You know, Jim, one thing I will say about you, I might start calling you a founding father, because I feel like you are oh. really good <laughs> at like laying the foundation for a lot of these characters to kind of move to those next spots. Because it's just Thanks. like how you talked about with Wanda and doing that. I noticed you did it with Monica in No Road right. Home, like when you had right. the moments with her powers of Blue Marvel. You did it with the person, with my personal faith, Betsy, back in Hunt for uh, yeah. Wolverine. Thanks. Back yeah, and, that was, like, that was a big one. Body. And it was interesting. That was, one was such a unique thank challenge. You. Like, to, <laughs> thank give, you. to give your, your you know, listeners an idea, like, Psylocke was a character that had a really messy, weird continuity going on, right? And, and we were doing this Hunt for Wolverine. There was a series of miniseries. 
and the mandate came down from editorial, um, each of these miniseries should have something surprising and big, like that, that mm -hmm. readers don't just feel like, all right, get my Logan back, you know, that's all we we're here for. But it's like each one had to stand on its own merits and, and drop some cool bit of new thing. And I had a bunch of ideas that I was throwing around, but the one I thought was the most explosive was let's, you know, put Betsy Braddock back in her original British body. And uh, it was sort of like the third rail, like it was this, you know, no one wants to do this, like this is don't touch it. Just pretend. It was, it was crazy to me. Sure. Like that. Sure. And I was like, <laughs> the weird thing was I haven't done a lot of stuff in the X office. So I don't know if I was just like fearlessly stupid where I was just like, well, <laughs> I can't really salt the earth in an office where I don't do a lot of work. I'm just like, yeah. I'm, you know, I'm going to, I think this is a cool thing we could do over here. And of course the question comes back, well, how do you do it? And how does it feel like it makes sense? And it's like, well, you know, you classic Chris Claremont kind of, of style inner you know battle right the psychic realm and all this kind of stuff and we can literally have her body be rebuilt psychic power like so on that upper level or whatever and let's do this thing and then i looked at a bunch of these old stories in madripoor and there was this you know some old characters that we could pull on and some funky threads we could play with and the idea was to put betsy in this interesting new position by the end of it and that's what we did you know i had no idea that when they did the big, you know, revision and the big overhaul of the X line, that they were going to make her Captain Britain or any of that mm -hmm. stuff. Like that's not my sounds weird to say, not my problem. Like that was my <laughs> goal. My goal was to separate the two characters and to to create this idea that. And one of the ways I sold it was we're not losing a character. We're gaining, we're gaining one. That Quanon can become like a character on on her own, and yeah. her defining herself outside of being the vehicle for Betsy Braddock is potent and Betsy can go off and do other things, whatever that might be. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I said, look, we gain a character. That's why it's a good story. And it's, and, and it's know, interesting. Right. And Betsy's in her yeah. sword and so sorcery era now, Jim. So yeah, like once yeah. Amy's done, if you want to circle back around, yeah. it's like, you come on it, back. You know? <laughs> I mean, Excalibur is just like magic X-Men. They're like my favorite. Yeah. They're, they're good stuff. So, you know, to me, it was like, that was my goal was, okay, how can we do something interesting with this character and, and move them the ball forward? So I appreciate the, the compliment because I feel like that's our job, you know, like, and, and in the tradition of my favorite Marvel writers, is that you can't just do the hamster wheel with a character. Like, you know, the, the hardest characters to do this stuff with are the ones with the longest legacies because they become entrenched in reader expectation. And readers simultaneously want the thing they're comfortable with, but they're also bored by it. So how do you <laughs> shake people up? And you'll notice this every time. Like, it's not to say that every story where you shake it up is the right one, but some of the ones you remember the most are definitely the ones that shook the character to the core and changed them in some big transformative and amazing way. And so our goal has to be, how can we do that? How can we mess with your expectations? How can we shake up and keep you excited that you need to see what happens next month? You know, the worst thing I can do as a writer is have you bored. Like, not that I want you to be mad at me, 
but at least if you're mad at me, I know you're paying attention. Do you know what I mean? Like at least I did, you know, at least, at least you're paying attention and you're interested or you're like, yeah, I'm not that I'm, I'm not, I'm not hunting for hate readers, obviously. Right. But on the other hand, it's like, if you're complacent, if you could go for six months and not read this book, I've made a mistake. Right. Mm. If like my goal is not that I think trade waiting is part of how we collect, but ideally I want you to jump to single issues because you can't wait. Right. Because you're like, man, waiting six months for that trade paperback is too painful. I don't want to be spoiled on it. I need to get Thunderbolts, you know, day it comes out or week it comes out. I want to be part of that conversation. You know, working on the two Avengers weekly books, the No Surrender and No Road Home. I got to collaborate with events, in, by the way. incredible, yeah. incredible Love creative it. teams like Mark Wade <laughs> and Al Ewing are two of the best in the business. And they're so giving and they're so hardworking and organized and amazing and always willing to add cool ideas into the mix. But what was so joyful, I think, for us as a team watching it play out was that it, because it was a weekly the conversation was constant. People were like, oh my God. And then this week, this thing happened. And then this week, this thing happened. You're like, yeah, just wait till next week. Like there's something very potent and powerful, like watching, you know, when, when WandaVision came out and literally mm. there were episodes of the show that I woke up in the morning and my wife and I would like make a cup of tea and we'd watch the episode at like eight in the morning because oh, wow. I knew <laughs> if I went online after nine or 10 a.m., I would be spoiled on it because it people were so excited yeah. to watch that show. Like as annoying as that could be as a watcher where you're like, God, you people are spoiling everything. The amount of electricity in the air that people had for, oh my God, they did this or I can't believe this is happening that's what you want. Like, that's what we as communicators and entertainers want to do. Right. So I'm, I'm like amazed and jealous and like excited to see that stuff play out that I have to go see, you know, Spider-Man no way home opening weekend, because I gotta see it. I gotta be part of that conversation and not be spoiled for it. You know, that is the best case scenario. That is the kind of entertainment that we should all be aspiring to create is stuff that, excites people that they can't believe it and the minute they find it that spoiler they're like damn it i will not let myself be spoiled next time i'm gonna go get it day of you know yeah. if yeah. i'm doing my job well <laughs> that's me. what i want you know right so. that's happened to me quite a few times actually yeah yeah <laughs> and so we're trying to make destination entertainment we're trying to make you know engagement you know on that level where people mm -hmm. are freaking out right yeah because they love these characters because they're pumped for it yeah now, I have a question for you. Previously, sure. we had uh, Kelly Thompson on the show, a uh, great writer, and we were talking yeah. about powers and the way that you kind of create a team. Um, sure. And I wanted to ask you, because you work with a lot of teams, uh, right, right. does that does that factor into your like decision on who's going to be in the book, their powers, and the continuity of their powers? Do you sure. feel like... You, know, you may want the yeah, character I mean, to change something. You, you don't want to have characters, obviously, that are overlapping each other too hard because then you're just going to, you know, people don't get to have a place to shine. You know, one of the reasons why these classic team makeups, I think, work so well is because people get to carve out their niche in terms of the action and in terms of their engagement, right? The Fantastic Four is your classic kind of group because they each have this very potent visual look and power set that keeps them dynamic and interesting, right? Um, you know, and putting, assembling a team means 
that exact same kind of thing. It's funny that you mentioned that because in Thunderbolts, there's a, I don't want to spoil too much, but there's, um, you care. Well, <laughs> Hawkeye, is, Hawkeye is the leader, but he doesn't get to choose everyone on the team. And mm. the people that are assembling the team literally have a checklist and they're like, okay, we need the strong person and we need the energy person and we need that. <laughs> no, it is, but they're doing it like a formula. And Clint is like, look, look, I get you want the variety, but we can't, you can't make this stuff like a checkbox. That's not how teams are assembled. We have to care about each other and know each other. And they're like, yeah, yeah, Mr. Barton, we get it. And then they keep doing what they're doing. And so there's the dynamic there of like, exactly kind of what you're saying there. Like you want to assemble a team that's got that variety to it, but it can't just be, well, any strong character can do, throw them in that spot because it's also mm -hmm. who is that person? What is their personality? What is that dynamic? And one of the things we explore in this book is what are the, what are the gaps that are created when someone is trying to just take pieces and slam them together regardless of how they fit? You know what I mean? And so it's like, I've seen sometimes, uh, Tom Brevor, one of my editors at Marvel, he's got a great, oh, how does he say it? He said, um, you know, books have to justify their existence. And sometimes there are books that exist literally to pull characters who don't currently have a book together and you just slap them into a big pile and you go, see, they belong together because because they have nowhere else to go. And it's like, that is not a good reason for a team to exist. You know what I mean? like, that is no, not yeah. enough for a team to exist. Literally, well, where else are they going to go? You're like, no, no, that is the worst reason to put someone on a team, right? Mm. Because now you're, you're literally taking the bottom of the barrel. You're just taking things and you're just throwing stuff into a pile and you're going, I got them this is where they go because they don't go anywhere else. And you're like, no, 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 no. Do they add something to the mix? Are they valuable? Are they interesting? Is there dramatic potential? If you can't answer that question, then you got to go back and you got to keep working at it. You know what I mean? Rather than, and, it, and that justification can't just be, well, Jim, the writer likes them. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. It's yeah. got to have a little more going on there, particularly if you're talking about an ongoing title. Like there's something fun and synergistic about just throwing a couple characters together that don't normally spend time because there's something fun and, oh, you never see, I don't know, I could just, uh, a Ghost Rider and Black Knight hanging out. So that alone mm -hmm. becomes kind of fascinating, but that's a one-off. That's not like an ongoing story. Mm -hmm. you like, if Black become a duo, you're like, why? Like going forward, what did <laughs> what did they have in common or why are they interesting? What can they tell us about each other and what do they do moving forward? You know, mm. you need to move past just the shock value of that doesn't belong together. Like that's not that's not storytelling. That's just like categories. Like they're just sort of, you know, making stuff bash into each other. Yeah. The characters' powers and abilities also kind of like fluctuate throughout their time. continuities or whatever. Yeah. Um, and I am a big Spectrum fan, as people know out there. Um, but I have always admitted <laughs> she's a little overpowered. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> have, you, have you ever have you ever like kind of come into like 
conflicts with that kind of stuff of characters who are kind of overpowered. I mean, Wonder Man is also a favorite of mine. He can also sure. be a little. <laughs> oh, totally. Okay. You know, and one of the one of the things with these characters is you're trying to put challenges up against them, and those challenges can't. They don't sit equal to each other. You know what I mean? A Thor threat is not a Spider-Man threat and all kinds of stuff like that. And it's fascinating to put characters up against stuff way beyond their means. Like one of my absolute favorite Spider-Man stories is um, Spider-Man fighting the Juggernaut. And you're like, this ain't going to work. And that's why it's so great. <laughs> Spider-Man is the classic underdog. And what could be more underdog mm -hmm. than the unstoppable Juggernaut, right? But that being said, it's like, okay, I need threats that are going to work for everybody. And how can I keep that in the mix? And sometimes that means the way I'm writing this character or the way I'm currently using their powers, I'm going to put these limitations on it, or I'm going to have these outside forces that are causing them trouble. You know what I mean? And, and that's part of the dramatic mix. So is Spectrum incredibly powerful? Absolutely. Right. And deservedly so, because it's such a cool power set, but that doesn't mean therefore she can beat every bad guy and what's everyone else doing but standing around like if you look at you know your classic justice league lineup like flash is mm. terrifyingly powerful like yeah. how, how, do, how does how does even batman like deal with flash like it doesn't make sense like a, a flash could take out almost any batman villain in a traditional mm. sense so how do we keep that thing dynamic, interesting? How do we make it work? You know what I mean? And so part of my goal is, okay, Monica's on this team, but there's other factors involved in this thing. America Chavez is on this team, right? Mm -hmm. She can mm -hmm. like fly and punch the crap out of massive stuff. And she can traverse dimensions. Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> oh my God, this character is insanely powered. You know, she and Monica were on the Ultimates together dealing with cosmic level, dimension level threats. Now they're in New York City <laughs> working for Hawkeye. Like, how does that work? It works. There's a reason for it. And there's a, the way it all kind of plays out makes sense, you know, as you read through this thing and what their reasons are for being on the team and other stuff that's happening in their lives. But it's stuff I definitely have to think about. And it's stuff that a good editor like Tom is asking me, like, putting those questions in my head like it's cool america chavez is a good choice but <laughs> why don't anytime there's a problem why don't they just she just jumps them to another dimension and yeah. you're like oh because of this oh okay cool now we've got you know answers to these questions or now we're keeping stuff dynamic and interesting you know this is kind of like a generic just broad question but you know who have you sure. been having the most fun writing on this thunderbolt so far that you find yourself like connecting with it's a it's a good question actually um you know like clint's the leader so you'd assume that he would be like the character and yet mm -hmm. surprisingly it's like he is the one that i went in with assuming okay he's going to be my voice in kind of all these things but one of the things i've had a lot of fun with is other characters sort of bouncing off of him and all that kind of stuff. Monica's perception of what's going on. There's another character mm -hmm. we've introduced into the mix. She's a brand new kind of secondary character and she's operating in this more like organizational role. I know that sounds really odd. One of the things I loved when I was reading comics in the eighties where there were regular people around superheroes and they had, you know, it's not just Peter Parker, but it's, it's Betty Brant and it's J. Jonah Jameson and it's all mm. these other characters that are that are bouncing off of Peter, you know, or on the X-Men. Yes, you had all the X-Men, but you had like 
you know, Stevie Hunter, the dance instructor who is teaching Ileana mm. and Kitty, and her outside perception of their world brought some brought a, a grounding to what they were doing. You know, it reminded you that there were regular people whose lives were being affected by what was going on. And so I've very uh, purposefully introduced a couple of those kinds of characters in the Thunderbolts. And one of them I think is really funny because she pushes up against Clint so hard. And she basically mm -hmm. is like, look, I know for your, from your point of view as a superhero, this all is easy. It's not easy. Like you have to, you, you know, there are systems in place and there are laws and there are, you know, mm -hmm. budgets because this is New York City and we've got to justify all these <laughs> things. And the new Thunderbolts is a sanctioned superhero team, which means inadvertently the taxpayer is paying for it, right? Mm -hmm. So if you screw up, you literally have to do like a press scrum and you have to answer reporter questions like, why did you do that? And Hawkeye's not used to being under that kind of scrutiny. Mm -hmm. No one is, you know what I mean? They're used to just having celebrity photos and hey, we saved the day and everything's cool. And all of a sudden you're and getting Avengers called day to the parades and all that stuff. Right? <laughs> now you're getting called to the carpet and someone's saying, hey, that was a lot of property damage. What's that all about? And it's, it's like, be a well, lot of property damage. You know, right? Or it's, <laughs> it's, it's, the, it's the equivalent of like, hey, you're the sports team, but now you're the star player or the coach and the and the press is in your face and you're they're asking you all these questions, right? And what you want to say is, hey, it didn't work this time. I didn't get the shots I wanted, or the team wasn't pulled together, or I had a bad burrito and my stomach was upset. Leave me alone. But you can't. You have to be, you know, you're you're being called to task, right, by the general public or what may have you. And so she's kind of our way into that element of the story. And her perceptions of Clint and the team and the way they interact with each other, I find really fun to write because it's like kind of the man on the street sort of thing. Like, look, I know to you, this is all very simple because you've got, you're a superhero, but mm -hmm. to the rest of us, this is a mess. Like you gotta be better, you gotta try harder. And that's something really fun as well. It's been fun to write, it's been fun to kind of riff on and to take those kind of different views of, of the events and, and play up on it, right? You know, Clint makes a joke during one of these press scrums that he thinks is really funny, but, Outside of the context of that moment, the headlines get spun a different way. And we see that all the time on social media. You see someone being sarcastic and all of a sudden everyone takes it dead serious, right? Or someone thinks what they said, someone, it's obvious I was making a joke and it's like, yeah. that's not what Twitter thinks. That's not what, you know what I mean? And, and You must and have Clint, seen one of Keenan's Gene Grey jokes. <laughs> right? All of a sudden that's something that happens to Clint and it's like, oh geez, you know, it, it sure sounded funny in the moment, but now you're going to, this is going to drag behind you for a while. You got to get out from underneath the shadow, you know? And so like that stuff's fun. And, and I feel like it reflects a modern sensibility without like pinning it to, like there's some comics I read that came out in the late nineties, early two thousands and their way of plugging it into the now was like having celebrity names show up or they would have, you know, people calling mm -hmm. out specific products or whatever. And you're like, look, I don't care if you use the word Tamagotchi, it ain't gonna age well. Like it's not, it's not good or right. whatever, you know? Um, so it's not or about dropping me. Beyonce lines or like yeah, like it, it's <laughs> it's interesting and I get it, but you know it, it's not about me using the word Twitter or Instagram. Like that's not, yeah. that doesn't make a timeless story. But having the press 
rake you over the coals because you said something stupid. I think that's pretty timeless, you know, like that. that worked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. In that kind of sense. So it's interesting. It's, it's, um, those are the characters that I, I'm having a lot of fun with. Um, persuasions on this team. So she's actually a, a really old character from the mid 80s called Purple Girl. And she was, um, the Purple Man's daughter, uh, Kilgrave. And so she was on Alpha Flight way back in the day, and then she sort of floated around. She's shown up a couple times, but she hasn't been in a, a book in ages. And uh, I feel really good about the take that we've built around her, and it's something a little mm -hmm. bit different. And I think she's going to be a really fun character to explore, um, both in terms of the surface level, how she's portraying herself to the world at large, and then as we find out more of what's kind of driving her and motivating her that that's going to be uh that's something i have a lot of fun with for sure yeah i'm, I'm yeah. personally excited i love like a kind of corporate government pr spin on my superheroes so and well i think it's fun right like it's you know that that's classic material <laughs> like like the avengers when when um there was this guy henry guyrich and he was like this government mm. liaison for Ooh. the avengers <laughs> and he started mm. to try and tell the avengers who could be on the team and what kind of security clearance they could have and you know the the sparks and that, that they created. needed certain amounts of like black characters on it yes, yes. <laughs> right and all of a sudden you're like whoa this is intense and yet you're sort of like this is where drama comes in that people can't just run ramshot you know and we saw it in avengers you know uh after age of ultron like there was the the you know in the movie continuity all of a sudden the government is saying you can't just run around doing whatever you want like you have to be answerable to someone like that's the story of you know watchmen who watches the watchmen like mm. that's the whole point our superheroes our people does does power justify you know you doing whatever you want or is there got to be some kind of limit on your you know power and the way that you use it unilaterally and that's the kind of stuff that it's like, I'm not asking super deep questions like that on a world threatening level in Thunderbolts. It's more peppy and fun, but there's still this idea underneath of like, hey, you can't just run around and do whatever you want. You know, that's that's where, you know, the, the rest of the world has a say in, in who you are and how you act and all that kind of stuff. And so it's kind of interesting. It's fun stuff to be able to explore and to play with the dynamics. It's fun to have these characters that, they're not all pals, that they come at things from different, you know, angles and their points of view will turn into fun little dramatic, you know, interactions and whatnot. Uh, that's the stuff that just keeps me always excited because there's always a new kind of angle that I can take on it or there's some sort of funky conflict that I can put into place, you know, so. It's uh, it's a joy. It's really a joy to be able to do this forward, stuff. So I appreciate that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And what I'm hoping is that as much as this is a five issue limited series, that we can prove to people, retailers and readers and everyone else, like this is a team dynamic that's really fun. This is an interesting sort of setup that's full of potential. You got a complete unit of a story here in five issues, and we answer a bunch of questions about why this team exists and what they're all about. Do you want to see more? I hope so, because we've got more cool ideas in the mix if you do. Excellent. Love to hear that. I will be buying. Perfect. Thanks, man. Yes. I really appreciate <laughs> it. Will be. It's um, you know, it's one of those I funny things. I want to be there for Monica, but I'm excited for the team. <laughs> Thank you. And, and 
like um when i did uh, a run on champions um you know i had people that were reading along and they were really really supportive and then there were a bunch of people that discovered the book after we wrapped up our run and they were like i can't believe this isn't still going and it's sort of like well you gotta let people know like that you love this thing or that you want to see more of it because that's mm -hmm. really the thing and and don't get me wrong the social media stuff is great and i love hearing from people but at the end of it, it's also the dollars and cents. Like, are the issues selling? Are people, you know, picking it up at the store? Are they buying it digital or however else? And if they are, then that's the metric. That at the end of the day is what the publishers want to see. Uh, all the rest of it is nice, but that's like just kind of icing on the cake, you know? So, yeah. Use your money, people. Like <laughs> if you're doing digital. <laughs> that's right, man. But yeah, it's um, it's been great. It's been a lot of fun. I love, like I said, playing with the threads and being. It, you know, it's a form of nostalgia for me, honestly, like growing up with these characters and now having the ability to even just chart a few of their next steps on their journey is cool. It feels a little surreal, you know, at times. Um, the first few times you do it, you feel really, really weird. I remember I was uh, on Uncanny Avengers. We were trying to figure out a bunch of different dynamics and, and what we we're going to do with the villains. And... Um, we were going to have uh, juggernaut show up and i had that weird idea mm. with those little those little cytorians those tiny little juggernauts yeah, from another dimension <laughs> yeah and i was like i think it'd be funny if there were these like worshipers of ciderac that looked like little tiny juggernauts and i told my editor and he goes that sounds good to me and i was like oh, I think I just made something new in the marvel universe like whether or not <laughs> whether or not anyone else ever uses them like that is like they're now. there that's like, that's I a fun that. little thing right I, I like that, like that's cool. And it you realize, oh, I made a new hero. You know, we made this new um, character in Champions called Snowguard and she's this Canadian, you know, hero. She's indigenous mm -hmm. and she's from Nunavut and we, we did a bunch of research. And like when that character came out, like Canadian newspapers talked about it like crazy and the issue sold out and they did multiple printings. And I was on like Canadian national news and all this stuff talking about this character. It was like yeah. just totally lucky, slow news week and everyone sort of went, there's a new Marvel superhero and she's Canadian. And you're like, oh crap, okay, we did a thing. Mm -hmm. um, that was really, really heartwarming and wonderful. And you go to a convention and like someone's dressed up like that character and you go, oh, mm -hmm. we made a thing. Like, this is really cool. This is really fascinating. And it becomes a little bit addictive. Like you want to make your mark. You want to make your mark mm -hmm. in the Marvel universe. You want to put another cool brick in the house of ideas. Like you want to have that ability to to look back you know because i don't know how long this comic career at marvel goes i want it to run as long as possible but at some point in time you know you you move out of it you rotate out of the 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 mix and i want to be able to look back and go that was a bunch of cool stuff we did that was a lot of fun stuff that we built and those are those are amazing pieces that other people can then continue onward with yeah. oh i see that happening for you for sure for sure. I've got, I've got the vision. <laughs> Definitely making Thanks. a mark. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. Sweet, man. Any other questions? Right. Any other things I can answer for you? Or we are all good? Um, I mean, my biggest question you've already answered as far as Monica and one man. <laughs> so Thanks. I, that much I appreciate. If you can throw a cameo of him in there somewhere, that would be great. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. So uh, although he doesn't show up on panel, Simon is actually on the phone with Clint in Thunderbolts number one. So they have a phone conversation, but it's one way. And so you end up getting only Clint's answers to the questions that are being asked. 
And so it's this fun kind of dynamic, but it's pretty clear what what Simon's saying on the other side of it. So you kind of got your cameo, but not quite the way you may have uh, That's all he needed. That's all yeah, he yeah. needed. That's really all I needed. I appreciate that. <laughs> no problem. Sweet. <laughs> all right, y'all. Well, that brings us to the end of this panel. Thank you so much, Jim, for yes. joining us. Uh, be pleasure. sure to check out and buy Thunderbolts, y'all, when it comes out. Um, yeah, let's go ahead and take a break, and then we'll come right back. Sweet. All right. Welcome back to your favorite part of the show. Yes, I think. Uh, this is the relaunch section of the show. <laughs> it is. They don't like it. <laughs> All right, do you want to go first? Um, yeah, I'll go first. I have okay. one that I've just go like recently kind of like workshopped and been working on. Um, and I was even tweeting about it the other day. It's X Corp. For my oh, okay. Yeah, you know, I know a lot of people didn't really like X Corp. I am not excluded from that list. I went back and reread it on Marvel Unlimited recently, and I feel like the concept itself has a lot of legs. I, you know, and even when the book first, the book first got announced, I wasn't really sure about it. I was kind of like, I don't really see like corporate X Men as like a thing. Like, I don't want to see boardrooms, and like I know a lot of people were saying they wanted it to be like Succession from mutants, and I was like, that just doesn't seem interesting with that group of characters. Like, I don't see Succession and Warren Worthington and third. I'm sorry, or like Jamie Madrix. Like, no. they're just not the, those people I see. But I still Monet think too. that though. You love a moment to get out of here. <laughs> uh, but I think the concept of like X Corp and business and like Krakoa as a nation really expanding on that is something that I would like to see kind of come back. But I think I need, it needs more of a humorous element. So I would like to bring that back and kind of give it more of that Parks and Rec office veep type of feel and you have like your boardroom oh, yeah, people. That sounds great. But in the same regard, it's really so pushing like the PR of certain mutants. Because one thing I've also realized is that the X-Men have a lot of famous mutants. Like Dazzler is a pop star. Betsy is an international supermodel. Storm is like a well-known queen and political figure. Even Northstar is like a champion skier that was about to go to the Olympics. Yeah. So a lot of people know him. You know what I'm saying? It's like, as Krakoa kind of continues and brands itself as this nation that does things, these people are going to go out and they're going to do things and they're going to say things that'll probably look bad on Krakoa. Who else should be battling that but your PR ex-court team? You know, the way, perfect. the way that Orcus is kind of doing this slander campaign against mutants and putting all of their stuff out there, like, PR ex-court should be battling back and fixing that. And then I think also in that regard, you can really get into mutant pop culture and like what that kind of means and what that looks like. Specifically, I think I would like a vehicle of the book to be Dazzler. She comes in, I feel like she would technically be their biggest client and she's kind of always out there. She'd be doing like, I think about pop stars and how they get into other avenues of like politics and like ambassadors for nations and things like that. So that would kind of be her role in the book. And like, of course, since she's getting interviewed or saying stuff, it gets back in like, so maybe Monet's got to pull her to the side. She's like, girl, I need you to stop talking about this. So like, we need to fix this. And just like really getting into all that stuff and the hijinks will ensue. There needs to be a lot of comedy with it though as well. Um, I've been trying to think of like writers to kind of knock that out, but I've realized that while I think there are a lot of really talented writers who have humor in their books, there's not anyone who I think is necessarily like funny right now. 
Um, mm-hmm. So I'm still shopping around the idea. Like that brand of humor? Exactly. Um, so I'm still like shopping that part. But yeah, X-Corp would be my relaunch. I would really come back and kind of force that like PR angle and getting into like the mutants of going like what that means and like how that looks and like just having a lot of fun with it and having a lot of laughs because I feel like that team is full of people who aren't necessarily the best at what they do and they're kind mm-hmm. of like brand is messing up. And so it's like, let's have a good time with that. Yeah, I like that idea. I know that like X-Corp, I don't know if they have a PR branch. Would you add that branch? Because I think they have X-Corp Pharma and then like a telecommunications branch. Would you like add a consultant kind of uh, PR branch to them too? And like, if you would, who's like running that? Mm, because I already big... know like a Monet and Angel would feel a type of way about <laughs> someone yeah. else at being the CEO of the branch of their thing, which would be fun to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I don't think I would put them in charge of that anyway. They're not like that smart. But <laughs> I don't know who I would put in charge of that PR. You know, I, I'm pretty sure, like, if I do enough digging and go back, and I probably will, of course, after this, I'll find somebody. I think there are a lot of characters who have also worked in media in the, um, mm. you know, the X camp. So we could kind of see them. I know that they had Wind Dancer doing something like that, I think. At the end of X. Oh, I think that she was. Oh, I don't know that. <laughs> she like I thought, she, I thought that she was in uh, Mojoverse in X Factor yes, doing something and, there. So she came back and she had like now that she has her powers and she's living with Koa. Like that was one of the things that X Corp. It's been a while since I've read it, but um, I know she wasn't. She's an intern in X Corp. Like I don't know what she. I thought she was a marketing intern. I don't know. I didn't but, stick with that book. They gave her like some really high ranking position that didn't really make sense. And it's also kind of interesting when you think about things like that, because we often say that we want a lot of these lower tiered characters to be elevated to like certain statuses. But then once they get something that could put them in that status, a lot of people complain. It's like, oh, well, that's something she's doing. And it's just like, well, you want her to be big or not. But nonetheless, Mm. I think she was supposed to be doing something like that. But I don't think I would keep her in that role. Sorry Mm -mm. to the Wind Dancer fan. No. I've got an idea for Windows that I'm working on, but I'll I'll mention that later. <laughs> okay, <laughs> you know. Windy love, showing the new X Men <laughs> fans some love. I love not that. too many of them. Let's pump the brakes. <laughs> 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 okay. okay, I'm like Pixie's made it, so I don't really care about the rest. Dust is also She's like still made it. <laughs> She's good. Um. I like that idea. I'm into it. I think X Corp could use a rebrand of being more of like the office kind of funnier kind of book. Um, and really, it, you know how like a lot of those like niche books like hit because they just have like the right like formula, like that Hawkeye, mm-hmm. uh, Matt Fraction's mm-hmm. Hawkeye. Or, um, oh, Matt Fraction could actually probably write it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's like definitely his brand. That's actually really, yeah, that's actually really good. Matt, if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, my relaunch this week's come from another character of the House of M. And no, it's not Lorna. It is Wanda Maximoff, Scarlet Witch. Um, Ooh, oh, you know, okay. that's really I've, different. I've said before that I think the magic characters need way more buildup in their corner for it to be mm-hmm. actually a corner. Um, and I think the Scarlet Witch could actually hold weight for her own book. Um, she's had one before, but I think with her popularity right now, which like is 
insane, she could easily hold down another a, a solo title. And what I would do for her is I would return Scarlet Witch to Wonder Gore Mountain, Wonder Gore Mountain mm-hmm. and make that like her base. And like that is where mm. she is now. Um, I know that the High Evolutionary has like a place there, Wanda Gore Mountain, with like his uh, big uh, facilities and all that kind of stuff. She should just kick him out um, and just get rid of him, <laughs> make him make him a villain for her, sure. But I think mm. like she needs a place to call her own. She doesn't need to be in New York with all the other like superheroes and all that kind of stuff are like she should have a space that is also tied to her and like magic and i think just putting her right at wonder Girl mountain would be fantastic she's got her own her and her brother really could have their own space yeah. there and they could really like start to become like their own kind of characters have some pop-ins okay. from magneto every now and then from krakoa because again those are his kids they're just his human kids um what about yeah, what billy Oh yeah, he would come visit too. I mean, oh, all of them. Okay. That's his. That, that's a kid. So like, again, I think that like her and any of her attachments or whatever could come and visit her there. But I think that she should be. Simon. St- I said uh, things that are attached to her. <laughs> I mean, they, they are not boo. They ended that. <laughs> I <laughs> ask mean, Mr. ask Mr. Stuff. Ask Mr. Stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that's dead. <laughs> Man, I don't know. She broke History up has a habit of repeating itself. Didn't we just talk about not doing that no more? <laughs> <laughs> this person, I'm talking about not doing that no more. So Simon can fly right on over Wonder Girl Mountain and keep it moving. Vision can go. You know, he can go and say, hey, that's he her man. Be there, honestly. It should be Jericho. That's her side, man. <laughs> she said she was single. She never said she didn't have a man. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's her side, man. So yeah, you'll be there, you know, <laughs> when nobody's looking. But that's what I think should happen for the Scarlet Witch. Everyone now in the Marvel Universe is kind of like taking claim to their corners. You've got uh, Captain Britain with Otherworld and uh, the X-Men on Krakoa. And I think when you are a bigger kind of character and you really want to have a stake in the Marvel universe, you need to really have like a location that is synonymous yeah. to you. Yeah. And uh, I think that her should be Wonder Girl Mountain. Put her over there. Cool. Yeah. I'm into it. Anything that brings me Billy, I'll support. Billy a pop over here. They, they, they can find out more about him being like the Demiurge or whatever. He's going to like, and he's supposed we to be in the world or something. Need to do that. I don't want to kind of get back into that because that like feels like We'll get more America Chavez, and I never want to see her again. Oh, I'm with you on that one. Sorry, sorry to the America <laughs> fans. <laughs> I don't really like that girl. Um, yeah, so that's my relaunch: giving Scarlet Witch her own corner of the Marvel universe at Wonder Girl Mountain. Um, when they finally do this, y'all, you know where you heard it here first. <laughs> um, yeah, so that brings us to the end of the show. We really hope you guys enjoyed everything today. Uh, thank you again to uh, Jim Zub for stopping yeah. by the show and, and talking to us about continuity, nostalgia, and, and everything. And that Wonder Man love. Appreciate it. <laughs> um, please make sure you rate and subscribe to us wherever you and give us five stars, too, wherever you get your <laughs> podcast. Um, you can find us on iTunes. Uh, Spotify, all that good stuff. Uh, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at 
another relaunch. You can find me on most social media platforms at UncannyLZ. Keenan, where can they find you? You guys know you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Keenan Lance, and there's an underscore at the end. Boom. All right, let's get up out of here because I want pizza. <laughs> so we'll I'm getting to y'all next week. Ooh, I know that sounds. <laughs> All right, y'all. Out. Yeah. <laughs>